entering the deep. Pray I don't offer it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would like to start referring to age as levels. It sounds way more badass to say I'm at level 43. My name is Drew. I'll be your host <laughs> for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. <laughs> What's going What's on? Up, uh, not too much. How about you? I'm I'm all right. It's been a busy week. I got to watch a couple new things. Or I How about this? I started a new thing, and I got pulled away from the TV, which is fine, because it's not something I should be watching with impressionable minds in the room. So I'll get back to it. And then I watched another thing, so <laughs> at least I'm coming right. to the table with stuff. Um, <laughs> Cryptic. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but yeah, no, dude, it's just been a busy week. And, uh, you know, we have, a, you and I have to go to a wedding this weekend, so it could be good. So, yeah. Right on. <laughs> and one last podcast before the festivities, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, How about you? Yeah, I don't I don't have anything super exciting, uh, just keeping myself busy. Um, I don't know if I should just jump into uh, watching and reading and all that. Or... Uh, you can. All right. So the only thing I've really been watching this week is uh, I finished uh, Fool Me Once on Netflix. And yeah. uh, I don't know if you've started this yet, Drew. But no, and I'm going to tell great. You, let me explain why. I had every intention of starting Fool Me Once. But there's another murder mystery show that dropped on Hulu called Death and other details okay. um, and in the balance of which one to watch um flip the coin and started death and other details so i'm planning <laughs> nice. on watching fool as once but it was like i really want to watch both <laughs> yeah oh so, yeah anyway, here's the problem ahead. with with a show like fool me fool me once is it's a very quick watch it's eight episodes it's a very intricate mystery, and uh, it's one of those things where if I say too much more than I said last week, I could spoil so many things. Uh, what I will say is it, That's it okay. is... Our list tonight spoils lots of things. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, it's all right. Please don't ruin it for me, but tell me yeah. what you feel you can. Yeah, no, I, I think... Okay, so it's a very intricate mystery. Um, it was very good. It's one of those things where it's you're watching the show and your mind's running wild with all these theories. And every episode, as you're getting new details, you your mind keeps running wild. And it's just really fun to see all of the like intricate details come together and get tied up when it comes to all the resolutions of all the different loose threads that are out there. It's one of those things where mystery series always there's always like a little bit of disappointment because sometimes when you're watching them and your mind has these crazy, crazy like conspiracy theories, how everything's supposed to turn out. Sometimes when you finish watching it, it's a little bit underwhelming because you're like, oh, OK, so like that one detail was a lot less crazy than I thought it was. But 
overall, I think this one was like a really satisfying watch. Um, I've praised these uh, Harlan Corbin Netflix series quite a bit. Um, like the show, like The Stranger or like Safe or, or there's a couple other ones. They're always like really good watches. I thought this one was really good. And uh, I think my favorite part was it ends in a very interesting way and it's not how you expect it's one of those things where it's like it's very satisfying to watch but it's just not how i was expecting it to end and that was uh that was just really awesome overall again i don't want to say too much about this one though (laughs) so (laughs) it's kind of hard to know where to go from there you know what i mean (laughs) no i completely hear you um yeah yeah um but I, yeah, I appreciate you doing your best to be spoiler free for me. And I know you're probably like, I want to talk more. So, yes, I will get caught up and we can. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 all good. But 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 fool me once. I do, I do highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, and then once you finish it, like Netflix always has the like the more like this thing and you'll be suggested a bunch of other shows that are all from the same author. And, you know, I've watched four or five of them. They're all like really good. So, um, but yeah. Uh, what do you got this week? So I started watching, um, Saltburn. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I, I watched this actually. You watched I it. I okay. talked about it on the show, but you, yeah. Um, we, I'm only, partway through it and that's the thing i got pulled away from because of impressionable minds that i shouldn't that makes a lot of sense (laughs) you know it's it's really like i need to turn this off um i really really like what i've seen thus far um and i'll have a more thorough review but i was really like i'm in it and i'm like cool but at the same time and it just it feels unique and it part of it for some reason kind of feels fresh too like unique and fresh and just like something different maybe it's just a little different than what i have been watching lately it's just i don't it's you know that this is going to sound like a really bizarre comparison but you remember <laughs> the first time you saw kill bill and you were just in it because everything was just cool like okay that's the kind of feeling i have while i'm watching this um it's just unfortunately i picked the wrong time to start it and i got pulled away <laughs> So. so just just curious, where are you in the film? And if it's something there are, is some inappropriate stuff. So if it's like a scene you can't really describe in detail, I, un, you know, I totally understand that. But. I hate to, I hate to say I don't know how to answer that question. I know I'm about. 40 ish minutes in. OK, I just yeah, that's the thing. I'm not I, I don't know entirely how to answer that question without like. A, ruining some stuff, and B, because I'm not far enough, in my opinion, to really gauge things. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know? so I'll, I'll give, like, this is totally spoiler-free, but for me, okay. Saltburn, I felt like it was very, um, it does some, like, some aspects of the movie, I think it does so amazingly, um, especially the acting. Like, that's one thing, whether oh. you like the movie or hate it, the acting is top-notch. Yeah, um, it sure is. There's some aspects of the movie I do think could have been done better, and we can talk about that later. But either way, I think it's worth watching um, as long as, like, you're old enough to, basically. Because it obviously is a big cultural thing at this point. Like, if you go on Twitter or something, you can find tons of people praising this movie. And it does seem to be a cultural force. So I think it is worth watching. But uh, we could probably go more in-depth uh on this one next week i'm assuming when you finish watching it you know (laughs) yeah yeah 
Um, the other thing that I watched was um, the first episode of Death and Other Details on Hulu. Okay. Uh, this is a murder mystery. Um, this is really cool. This is Mandy Patinkin. Um, so oh, if, cool. So if you're a fan of his, he is a um, he plays like one of the world's greatest detectives. So the way I would liken this is: Did you see um, Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile? Um, or I uh, saw Murder on the Orient Express. I didn't see okay. Death on the Nile. So but. imagine that kind of a thing. They're on a yeah. They're on a yacht, like a pleasure cruise type yacht, a big one. Uh, many passengers, many crew, uh, many servant staff, that kind of stuff. Um, it's like a rich family, few family friends. They're it's like a CEO is like taking some people out on a trip. He's gonna announce his retirement and his successor and all that stuff. And um, uh, Mandy Patinkin is a world greatest detective, so he happens to be on it. Um, and there's a murder. Uh, I would liken it to now death on the Nile is a is sort of a period piece because it takes place at a specific time period. This seem this is modern day. So it feels like a modern day version of not a modern day version of death on the Nile, but a modern day style mystery like that. Okay. Um, the Mandy Patinkin, the show opens. I'm only spoiling a little bit of this because it's kind of co- like you can see this. What I'm going to tell you, if you're paying attention, you literally can see this coming. <laughs> um, he's investigating the death of this girl's mother at the beginning of the show, and it clearly is like a flashback sequence. And then you catch up with the girl later when, like, so she's like 12. You catch up with her later when she's an adult, and she happens to be on the ship. And then she realizes he's on the ship, and she's clearly mad at him because either the case wasn't solved or something didn't go right or whatever. You don't know. She's clearly mad at him. Then there's a murder on the ship. And she like is like, hold on a second. I happen to be in that room at a specific time. They're going to think it's me. You know what I mean? And at this point, he realizes that she's this the adult version of this kid he hasn't seen in 20 years. So he's like talking to her because he knows that because of his it's kind of like because we had that past together, I know you know some of this detective stuff that I talked to you about when you were a kid. Let's team up and you can help me do this. Solve this. And in the by the end of the episode, she makes the realization that he's still working his her mother's case. Mm. And that's what drew him to the boat, which makes her realize that the kill her mother's killer could possibly be on the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and that's how that's how the first episode ends and you're just like Oh, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so that and I and I say that because if you're paying attention within the first episode, everything I just said literally you will see coming, but the murder is cool enough that you're just like, "Well, hold on a second. So there's a lot of these the pieces of the puzzle in your way, you know what I mean? So that first mm-hmm. episode was fantastic. Um I do plan on watching more, but I watched it right before we get turned on the microphones. <laughs> oh, fun stuff. <laughs> so yeah. How many? Uh, do you know how many episodes it is? I don't because it's still. It looks like it's still airing. As in, it says new new episodes on Tuesdays, so it's still like dropping episodes. Okay. Nice. So it could be eight. It could be ten. Uh, if I compared it to like Only Murders in the Building, for example, it's probably going to be like a ten, unless yeah. it's like a specific, you know, yeah, setup. I don't know. 
Right on. Yeah, it's, it sounds really cool. I'll have to uh, check it yeah. out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, you want to talk about the news? Yeah, let's go for it. We got some cool stuff. I mean, that's all I got for watching and reading, unless you got something. But we got some cool stuff to talk about tonight. So. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. We got a couple <laughs> cool science stories. We got a history story. We got some pop culture stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. All right. Did you watch Suits? No. No? <laughs> no, I've never watched it. I'm familiar with it because is um is it Meghan Markle's in it or something? Yeah. And uh, I've he- I've heard people complaining that Netflix was pushing Suits recently like a lot, and it's like specifically because she was in it. Um, but yeah, I- I've never watched it. I don't know anything about that show, so uh, enlighten well, enlighten me. <laughs> it's it's a show about lawyers. Apparently, it is the most streamed show of all time. <laughs> Yep. Um, which kind of blows. <laughs> I mean, my... Like I said, Netflix has been pushing it a lot, but no, keep going. Uh, now my wife, um, she uh, watched the entirety of the show. I walked in and out of the room a handful of times, caught bits and pieces here and there and saw some Meghan Markle and it's like, OK, there's the princess. You know what I mean? Like little bits. But I never watched it. The reason I bring it off is for those people, because it's one of the most streamed shows of all time, apparently in the history of streaming. Um, NBC Universal is releasing a spinoff show. Of course, there. Um, um, expansion of the Suits universe is taking another step forward with um, Aaron Corshi's L.A.-based spinoff earning a pilot order at NBC. Um and it'll center on Ted Black, a former federal prosecutor in New York who had reinvented himself while representing a powerful clients in Los Angeles. Yeah, so they're getting a spinoff show. show. Um, it's not something you and I normally talk about because we don't normally watch shows like that. But it does, however, um, it is like one of the most streamed shows ever. And I thought that was kind of cool. So it's like, yeah, here we go. Spinoff time. Yeah, for sure. Did you watch Suits at all? Like, are you going to be tuning in for this no, one? No, I literally, like, walked in and out of the room. I didn't really... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it was like, oh, Suits is on. You know what I mean? I was just in and out. I was doing other stuff, walking around, like... You're not... like, what does this have to do with Batman? And then just walk out of the room? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. No, it was more of a... To me, it felt too much like a soap opera and um, a show about rich people that... I like it's like I didn't identify with anybody in the show. Okay, yeah, I, I could totally get that. Well, the bits I saw, but I mean, the acting, the, to- the the there's some really cool pop culture references and stuff like that, which were kind of fun when I'd walk in another room or my wife would be like, "Hey, come here, you got to see this reference." But nice. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Let's talk about yeah. Like I said, I got some cool stuff. So first off, um. The video game Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League releases tomorrow. So as we close this microphone, it is currently uh, February 1st, so fe- uh, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Not only is that my dog's birthday, that's kind of cool, but um, it's also uh, the day the Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League video game releases. Um, the reason I bring this up is because Kevin Conroy passed away a couple years ago, two years mm-hmm. now. Yeah, he recorded dialogue for that game. So mm-hmm. they've been stating that that is the final performance of Kevin Conroy <laughs> as Batman, which is pretty cool. But as information about that came out, check this out. Do you remember um, when it was over? It was over the summer. It got announced that DC was going to do an animated Crisis on Infinite Earths movie. 
uh, I vaguely remember it. Um, okay. But yeah, keep going. Apparently, they're going to be releasing it in three parts. Um, the Blu-ray for Justice League Crisis and Infinite Earths Part 1 released sometime over the summer. I pre-ordered it, so it's here in my house. I haven't watched it yet. Um, so I have the Blu-ray to watch. Um, but apparently, it's going to air in three parts, but apparently Kevin Conroy has dialogue as Batman in the final part of Crisis on Infinite Earths, the animated film. Um, nice. and, it's, and it's going to be his Batman animated series, Batman on screen, because when you deal with the multiverse and like the different worlds being destroyed, it'll be that'll be his version on screen. And he recorded dialogue for that. I just thought that was cool. So the final performance of Kevin Conroy, my Batman. So it makes me really eager to watch that. And I think I might. And a part of me and even though I want to watch part one really bad when I read this, because I haven't had a chance to, but. When I read that, I was like, I kind of want to wait so I can watch all three back to back to back. <laughs> you know, right? Really right. cool. So, um, so this this is an interesting story. Um, I didn't realize that the that Suicide Squad game hasn't come out yet because if you go online, there's been a lot leaked about what happens in that game and certain scenes yeah. and stuff and. People are kind of losing their crap about this game. Like a lot of it, a lot of it isn't being very well received. Um, specifically, uh, some of the Batman-related scenes. And um, I know I saw somebody talking about how this uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, animated movie um, is kind of like coming out of the shadows, and it's like kind of this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put the right way to put it, but it's like this saving grace on the legacy of Kevin Conroy, because now his last uh, voice acting performance can be on this animated film instead of the uh, Suicide Squad game. And uh, I can say personally, everything I've seen from this game, graphics wise, like the way everything looks and stuff, I think it looks pretty cool, but there's a lot of, um, I guess, choices they've made in it that people aren't happy with and uh some things that seem a little bit inconsistent with the dc universe as a whole um so we don't have to dig super deep in, into that but i think it's kind of uh it's kind of interesting how this game is not well received even though it's not released yet <laughs> right. and how uh this movie's coming and some people are saying it's kevin conroy's like saving grace as an end of his, of his career so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm here. So the Suicide Squad game and the backlash and stuff that I've been reading too, and people complaining about it. Here, look, you're not going to like every game, and that's okay. Um, the Avengers game that came out, do you remember when that released? Um, it was like Marvel's Avengers. Did you see clips for that at all, or did you know anything about that one? I know you don't follow me. The way I yeah, do. I'm I might have. Okay. Because yeah, they have the Batman Arkham games and they have the Spider-Man games, which are great. Um, but they released an Avengers game uh, a couple years ago that just tanked in reviews, tanked in sales. And they were literally like right around Christmas, they were it was like down to like three dollars or whatever for a download. Jeez. Um my kid really wanted it, and I poked my head in the room a couple times while he was playing it. And honestly, what I saw of it looked really cool, and he really enjoyed it. He's yeah. four, he's 14. He's not a jaded adult. So maybe that game is geared towards a specific <laughs> audience. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, but I just I say that because you know he had a expectation of it. He enjoyed the Avengers game. He uh, hit me up saying he hit me up with the dad. Uh, Suicide Squad kills Justice League comes out soon. Can I get it? And I'm like I let I you know I was like sure why not you know what I mean like so I know he's looking forward to playing it but you know he he's looking at it going the Flash is in the game <laughs> you know um, right, he's probably right. like maybe I could be the Flash you know. I have no idea. So, um, I mean, it's, but, it's really any, it's like anything superhero related is people are going to nitpick it and criticize every little thing, which, uh, we've seen with video games. We've seen with uh, superhero cinema so many times. So it doesn't really surprise me, but I do think this, uh, suicide squad game has been getting <laughs> so much flack, uh, for the past week or so. And, uh, it's been really interesting to see. So, but, I mean, it's a. It looks cool. Besides, like the things people are complaining about it about, and uh, it's also put together by a good studio. So I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see with this one. Yeah, and yeah, and that's a kind of a cool segue because of the uh, wait and see. Last week we talked about the J.J. Abrams Black Superman movie is still apparently in development. Yes. Despite the James Gunn universe, it's being launched and like. Like, James Gunn is basically trying to reboot the DCU films. He's trying to kind of start fresh. He's trying to clean the slate. And whether you agree with the Zack Snyder, you know, if you if you like the Snyderverse, great. You have those movies to watch. If you want more of them, I'm sorry, but that's probably, we don't know what's happening. You know, we're probably not getting any more, even though they've made comments like, let Netflix finish it, and Zack Snyder saying, if I could yeah. finish it, I would, and, you know, those kind of things. And then James Gunn comes out and says he's got, hey, this is a whole new slate. We're rebooting. We got this whole thing. Superman Legacy's coming out. Batman Brave and the Bald, Creature Commandos, so on and so on, right? And then last week, we talked about how J.J. Abrams' Black Superman movie is still apparently in development. And it was begging the question, why are we doing that when we're trying to make a cohesive canon? The reason I'm bringing this up is because right after we turned off the microphones last week, I see this story. Matthew Vaughn is interested in, in uh, Superman Red Sun adaptation with Henry, <laughs> with Henry Cavill back as Superman. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> it's really it is honestly getting hard. <laughs> I love doing this show. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I don't have any intention of stopping, but it is getting hard to dissect the news sometimes when you and I are sitting down trying to discuss it. Um, it's hard to go onto YouTube to look for trailers and see um, there's a teaser trailer out for Pirates of the Caribbean 6 with Johnny Depp returning. And if you watch it, so much of it is computer generated AI footage. I was like, I was like, seriously, there's a teaser trailer for this. And I click on it and I didn't even get through half of it because I'm like, this is a fake trailer. Yeah. Um, there is a, the Ray, Star Wars film is being like they're in pre-production, I think, right now. Like they just announced the director and there's a trailer online for it already. And if you start watching it, it's all footage you've seen before <laughs> out of context because someone made a fake trailer. It is getting really difficult to find out what's real and what's not when it comes to these trailers. It's getting hard and it's making 
me frustrated when I'm trying to dig up these stories for the show. So, <laughs> this but, has been, but this, this has been an issue for a while. I remember um, when Spider-Man No Way Home was coming out. I remember going onto YouTube and trying to find the new Spider-Man trailer because I knew it came out. And like the top like at least five videos were just fake spider-man trailers it was so hard to find the proper trailer for the movie and uh it got really annoying because you'd click on one of them and you'd start seeing scenes of uh spider-man from like civil war or like the previous uh tom holland spider-man movies and uh it you would you know you'd be watching it and you're like okay well it's a it's an mcu film so maybe they're starting with a couple flashbacks and then you're like in like a minute into the trailer and you're like okay, I guess this isn't the real thing. That's a minute I'll never get back, you know? And um, it's cut well. It gets gets really annoying. With the Matthew Vaughn thing, I think what's going on is uh, he directed Argyle, right? Uh, Yes. So I think he's, like, promoting Argyle. And, like, in the past, he's, like, expressed interest in, like, doing a Superman movie and stuff. So I think it's just people interviewing him and asking him these, like, hot ticket questions like oh you know what if you did a superman movie and this is like his off the cuff remark like you know recently i was thinking red sun would be cool and we could even bring henry cavill back but that doesn't mean that henry cavill's in argyle you know that's true too (laughs) so of course he'd want to work with henry cavill with that um but it's also like it's just an off the cuff remark. It's like not in production. It's not happening. But then you have all the uh, comic book news sites that have to blow this story out of proportion because they're basically trying to use it for clickbait. And it just like proportionally, like it's such a loud vocal story, but it's really like a nothing burger in general. And it's, it's can get kind of tedious when you're like digging through like comicbook.com, like trying to find the stuff that really matters <laughs> when it's like, there's so much of just so-and-so says they'd like to play this character in this movie. You know but, what I mean? So there's a lot of news stories that I completely pass over when I hear like Dakota Johnson said she'd love to play this character. That's not yeah. news because it's not her saying I'm in the movie. It's her saying, I think it'd be fun because she answered a question on a red carpet interview. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I skip over a lot of that stuff. And that's, that's the minutia that's difficult when you're putting, pulling the news stories. Um, what I will say about casting though, is last week we talked about two actresses in running for Supergirl for the James mm-hmm. Gunn. DC universe. Um, there were two actors. Um, one of them, Miley Alcock from uh, Game of Thrones, House of Dra- House of the Dragon. She played young Rhaenyra. Um, she of the two actresses that were up for the choice was my personal pick. Um, I know her acting from House of the Dragon. Uh, facial feet, like her face, her acting, her like just her the way she was able to emote. I I really enjoyed her in House of the Dragon. Um, so just, she was my choice and, and my personal choice. I know I don't have anything to do with casting, but she's officially been cast as Supergirl for the Supergirl movie. Um, so right. awesome. That means James Gunn listens to our show, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's so. pretty funny. I was like, oddly, and I'm not even that familiar with the other actress. It was like Megan something or, um, yeah, I can't remember. Um, I could I could look that up for you real quick, but she uh, she did a lot of voice work for Supergirl. Yeah. Uh, and and be, because of that, I was actually kind of rooting 
for her in a weird way yeah. but it's also because i'm like not that familiar with her so i'm just kind of like what well, would be cool to there see was, supergirl uh, Mag- and have Mag donnelly was the okay like... yeah Mag donnelly but there's like part of me that was like it'd be cool to see somebody i don't know in that role because there's just that extra level where i don't have to suspend disbelief like i don't even recognize her so i can just like accept her as the character right away but uh sure like i said last week either way it sounds like they had good choices and um yeah i mean miley alcock she i'm sure she's gonna knock the role out of the park she's a great actress and everything so uh good stuff um all right we're gonna jump over to some cool science stories history and then we're gonna come back to pop culture sound good all right do you remember when Elon Musk was talking about the Neuralink chip that was going to be embedded in. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, the first human received an implant from Neuralink. Um, This was hold on. Oops, hold on. I want to make sure I have the. uh, January 29th. Yeah. So the first person initial results show promising neuron spike detection. Um, so the first person got the chip in the head, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll see how that goes. I was not aware that we were into human testing already, but I guess we're there. Um, it's cyborg time. It's Terminator time. <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but Hey, the Neuralink has been up. It's science fiction come to reality. So, so first of all, from when we're recording this, this happened three days ago yeah. and, uh, it, we live in a crazy fast paced world. Like the news cycle moves so fast. Cause I feel like this happened like two weeks ago or something. Like I feel like so much time has passed since I heard about this. But um, from what I know, like, I guess they're pushing the Neuralink on like people with dif- disabilities and stuff to help them out at first, which seems, which seems like a good thing. And it's like, you never know, like, does your dystopian, conspiracy mind imagine a future where like oh yeah it started where they were helping people out but now we're all forced to get the chip put into us but uh it's really interesting i'm really curious to see where this goes but um it's also just really interesting to see like i'm somebody who i'm probably going to hold out on putting a chip in my head like as long as possible but then there's some people who are just like sign me up like (laughs) (laughs) plug me in right away and i think it's really interesting to see that dichotomy between the both ends of the populace if you will so yeah (laughs) um well i love that you said that our technology moves really fast because this is that's another great segue um technology moving fast means a couple things it means video games and it means graphics and when you look at like computers and how we've advanced can you just out of curiosity if you were to pick one video game to continuously move forward through the dawn of time from from computer to Game Boy to Xbox to PlayStation to higher level PC to Steam decks to cell phones, what video game would you pick? I know what I'd pick. Because, oh, which one would I pick? Yeah. Yeah. What video game would oh, you pick man. or that you know has been ported onto literally every variant you could possibly think of? I'm oh, just curious is, what you'd say. This is such a tough question. I know it's a like tough I, question. But I feel so like off the top you know, of my head. I feel like you know the answer. 
<laughs> I don't know if I do because it's it's so I feel like there's so many aspects off the top of my head. Like the two that I kind of lean towards is uh, one is Minecraft, which I, I haven't really even played that much li- Minecraft in my life. But that yeah. sort of thing where you can kind of like build your own world. Like, I think that's a cool concept. Sure. And the other direction I lead, I lean is like maybe like a Legend of Zelda, because who doesn't want to just keep going into a fantasy world like that? And like the, this is a game that's always had solid gameplay, solid stories like that would be a cool world to kind of be there forever into perpetuity. But uh, what is the answer? <laughs> well, the answer is Doom. Um, oh, of course. Doom. All right. And you're just like, and I see, and as soon as you said, oh, you're like, yeah, it is. Doom <laughs> has been on literally everything from your PC to your Game Boy to your cell phone to your Xbox to your PlayStation to your Nintendo to whatever. And literally the original version of Doom keeps getting ported over and over and over again. They even have that joke in Friends when, he sh- when Chandler's showing off his computer and they're going to type something on his word processor. And he's like, do you guys want to play Doom instead? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, literally Doom <laughs> has constantly been going. You're going to love this. A biotechnology student at MIT has created a 32 by 48 one bit display utilizing bacteria found in your gut to do what anyone would do in creating a screen. Put doom on it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. You can run doom on your gut bacteria. Um, Granted, it is a single frame per eight and a half hours. But you can run Doom on your bacteria found in your gut. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, so sci- weird science story of the week. I love pulling these, man, because we talk pop culture all the time and we talk about movies and stuff. But every now and then I got to drop a story like this to make you laugh. So. So, <laughs> so speaking of Doom, I used to work with uh, I worked like the back room of this uh, retail store for a while. Drew, you know, you've worked a similar job. You know what I'm talking about. But yep. there's a guy it's who worked a, with us. A, it looks like a big bullseye, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, there's a guy who worked um, on my team who uh, he was like, he worked there, but he also was like an IT guy. Like he repaired computers and stuff. And he was telling me how he was uh, sitting at home and like, he's like, yeah, lately I've just been using all these old parts I have to make a new PC. And it's really just going to be for like old school games. Like I'm just going to run like doom and uh, quake <laughs> and like just, you know, some old good, like first person shooters. And then he's talking about how his wife like walked into the garage or whatever while he's putting this together. And she's like, what are you doing? And then he explained it to her and she's like, you have so many like newer computers. Why are (laughs) why are you doing this? And then he said he just like looked at her like she was an idiot and goes, because I can. And uh, (laughs) that I feel like is kind of fits in with the spirit of this story. Like, why? Because we can. I can can make this bacteria run a computer game. Someone get me a (laughs) someone get me a copy of Doom. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you can play Doom on your gut bacteria. Um, I just, <laughs> right on. Of course you can. And that's the thing. Like, it makes me think of like the movie. Uh, it makes me think of the movie Marsh, The Martian. Right. When uh, Matt Damon was trapped on Mars. You know that somewhere on that base, there was a copy of Doom for him to at least play with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which 
<laughs> which kind of sucks that I feel like they missed an opportunity that he could have been up there playing Doom in some of the downtime during like one of the like winter storms or whatever, where he's like stuck, like in that time where he's like, I got to wait for the battery to charge. What do I do? Like, <laughs> you know, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Amelia Earhart, the first woman to attempt to circumvent the globe in an airplane has been has disappeared 87 years ago. Right. Okay. You're with me. Have you heard about this before I continue? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Her. Well, no, not the Amelia Airport thing. The fact that her plane wreckage may have been found. No, I didn't hear about this. You That's kind of why it? I was. I wasn't saying anything because I was kind of waited waiting on bated breath because you said Amelia Earhart and I thought you were going to say has been found or something like that. But oh. no, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Keep going. So the wreckage of her plane may have been found on the ocean floor. So after a close, close to a century mystery, right? Wreckage from Amelia Earhart's ill-fated trip around the world is believed to have been discovered 100 miles off the coast of Howland Island. It's an uninhabited island planned as one of the trip's final refueling stops. Um, it is like the island sits, when I was looking at the story, the island sits like kind of between Hawaii and like Australia. Um, okay. And it was like one of her last refueling stops before her trip back to the States. Um, and they, uh, some sonar uh, thing picked it up and they're like, we think that's an airplane. And based on, and when they were trying to identify the wreck before they go down and get it, um, they were trying, they were plotting courses and it looks like that was her plane. So I guess there's an expedition being going now to go try and get it and try and like find out if it was hers or not. Um, the plane, however, sits deeper than the Titanic wreck. So it's going to take a little bit to get. So we might not like, as soon as we have word, I'm going to be like, Hey, I'll, we'll talk about it. Cause I think this is kind of cool. You know, because we grew up, you know, you and I grew up like our whole lives. Amelia Earhart just vanished. You know what I mean? Is she on a plane? Did she get picked up by aliens or whatever? But she's yeah. disappeared 87 years ago. And it's been one of those like world wonder type mysteries. You know, this is really exciting. Um, it almost feels like I feel like I mean, the, <laughs> the expedition hasn't even happened yet, but I feel like the movie about it is going to be great. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and um, it'd be even crazier to make a movie about this and, you know, bring in some sci-fi animal or, or angle where, like, you're having to battle against, like, Cthulhu's and uh, <laughs> Megs yeah. and stuff while you're going down there. But, uh, no, fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Two more stories. Um, okay. Here's a director that makes movies kind of, con like, he constantly is putting stuff out, and I don't know where he's finding time to make movies. I really don't, because he's a director that only comes up in our conversations when a movie drops, because for some reason, like, he, I feel like he's making these movies in secret. Uh, but Guy Ritchie has a new film coming out. Um, All right. And I, and unfortunately, based on how things played out for my day, I did, I should have told you to watch the trailer, so you need to go watch this trailer, because I really want to know what your opinion is. Don't, Stop now and go watch the trailer. We're not going to sit right. and wait for it. Um, but he's got this, um, and he's taking a, uh, it's a true story about an unlikely, so the movie is called um, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Okay. Um, it, it's a true story of an unlikely group who helped England during World War II, um, while the world's first ever special forces unit was serious business. 
Um, so it's all about. So Henry Cavill um, is like this, like. So England's seeking out, hey, we need to go fight the Nazis. We need to send some people in for a very specific mission. Um, we need to find some guys with some questionable ethics <laughs> to go do this thing for him. So they hire Henry Cavill and he's like, well, I need guys I can trust. So I'm bringing my own people. If you watch the trailer, this almost looks like the Expendables, but true story. But it's also like I'm putting together. Uh, think about it this way. It looks more of a true story version of Inglorious Bastards than Inglorious Bastards was true. If that, okay. if that makes sense. Um, nice. But Henry Cavill plays like the main guy. And when you watch the trailer, you're going to go more of this, please. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, the movie looks incredible and it's literally like these guys that are getting hired by England to go um you know hunt down Nazis and take them down and the movie just looks bonkers. It's clearly a comedy, it's clearly an action film. It is absolutely just bonkers. Um but check this out the um the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. This is one that I wish I would have known about when we did our anticipated list. But now yeah. that I've seen the trailer, this is a must see and I got to go see this movie. So awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yes, check that out. Uh, by all means, check out the trailer. But that's going to be a must see for me. And finally, before we move into tonight's list, it is 2024, which means this marks the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons, um, which is wild to think about. But <laughs> we are in the 50th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons. There's going to be a bunch of stuff popping, so I'll probably bring it up just because it's pop culture and it's kind of a big thing because of the reinsurgence of Dungeons and & Dragons and all that stuff and the fact that I play heavily. Um, but there's Lego sets coming out. They have a new version of the rules coming out. I don't know if it's a new version so much as it's like, a, hey, we, we streamlined some stuff and we're going to re-release the book. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming out this year specifically focused around it. I wouldn't be shocked if they made an announcement about a sequel from the movie we just recently got. Like, hey... We right had a sequel on, yeah. come in. Uh, we do have the Dungeons and Dragons documentary that's being directed by um, Kyle Newman and Joe Manganiello is coming out. Um, awesome. So that's all this year as is. So it's going to be a cool year for the people who are into that stuff. So, but yeah, that's the last news story of the night. I just figured we'd end on that. So any thoughts before I move on? No, sounds like a sounds like a lot of awesome stuff, and uh, <laughs> sounds like it's a good good year to uh, stock up on D and D merch and stuff like that. But uh, no, really cool. It's always <laughs> a good year to stock up on D and D merch. Look, you can't play that game without becoming a dice goblin. So, um, <laughs> well, anyway. you know what I mean, because there's part of me like whenever like there's a comic book movie that's released for like a character I really love, I'm like oh, man, there's going to be a lot of cool merch that's coming out. And I feel like this fits in line with that. Like, oh, there's going to be a lot of cool D&D stuff coming out. So it'll be a really fun time for that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really hoping, honestly, the Lego set, there's a, there is a Lego set out there that someone made and submitted it as, like, one of those Lego ideas things. And if it gets enough votes, that will be the that'll be one of the Lego sets. Um, it's basically this really cool castle with a dragon on top. Got some guys like trying to fight the dragon, but when you flip the castle around, you can see the interior and it's got all the, like the classic creatures, like in the hallways of the castle and stuff, Nice. which is pretty cool. But I honestly think, and I'm going to say this, I think Lego is missing the mark and I am not, I love Legos. I love playing with them, but I, 
Lego, I think, is missing the mark if they don't do this. They need to make a D20 that I can put on my shelf out of Lego. Oh, okay. They need to make a large D20 that you can make out of Legos and maybe have like a dragon like sitting on top of it or crawling over it or something like that's to me. That's in my mind. That's the Lego set. But I yeah. thought you were going to say they need to start making Lego like D and D grids that you can build dungeons on and stuff like that. Cause I think that's a golden opportunity too. You know, like if you design your character um, in D and D it's like, you know, <laughs> screw ordering a minifigure or something, or, you know, screw ordering a miniature. Let's make it with Lego minifigs. You know, <laughs> I've got tons of Lego yeah. guys sitting around. I could put something together. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah, and I hear you there. Um, but like, I also know that if I really wanted to, I could do all that dungeon tile stuff on my own, and I don't need D and D variants of that to do it. Um, I just, you know, I could do that the whole thing on my own. I just think that'd be really cool to have like a D twenty with a, you know, or a behold, right, right. like a chest that opens up and it's really a mimic or something like that, you know. So anyway, um, let's move on and talk about tonight's list, shall we? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Uh, we're going to roll the thing, and we'll be right back. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. Um, here we go. We're going to talk about a list tonight that is very heavily spoilerific. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is literally going to spoil so many things only because I thought it'd be a cool idea to talk about character deaths uh, from pop culture, things, the ones that really got us. Um, mine primarily are television movies. Um, okay. Yeah, mine are primarily television movies. So it's like, we're going to talk about characters that died. So when you're watching the thing, if you're like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. And then you're like, wait, he dies? Yeah, unfortunately, we're going to spoil that. But I just thought it'd be kind of cool because we've never really talked about we don't talk like we don't talk about those death scenes and some of them are really well put together like it could be like the fact production design how it was shot all that stuff it also could just be um it got us emotionally I was focusing on the the ones that got us emotionally but still there's some cool uh production design stuff as I was putting together my list so um, um yes and uh side note um, I just thought of this, actually. For a Halloween episode, we should do our top five favorite kills in horror movies, because I think that would be a really fun topic, too. Um, Dude, but this list is... House of Wax. What's that? Paris Hilton, House of Wax. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the list just write it, writes itself. Uh, this list is obviously very different. This is, like, a much more sentimental, like, these are characters you fell in love with, and... Uh, you had to see them be let go and uh, the ones that have stuck with you for years. And um, I actually have a little bit of everything. Like I have a lot of different mediums when it comes to like animated stuff, um, literature, comics, movies, TV. Like I've got a little bit of everything. I don't have a uh, video game pick, but I think that's the only uh, <laughs> medium that I'm missing. But uh yeah, this was going. This was uh, fun to put together, and I don't think it's going to be as much of a downer as I think I originally expected. So uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to make it a downer. I'm just saying, um, mm -hmm. just a little like it's a little more sad to note, if you will. Um, all right, what 
Do you have two honorable mentions? Surprisingly, uh, I do actually. Okay. Um, what's your first one? Because this was my pick. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my first one. Um. I don't know if I this one. Wonder, was... I do wonder if we'll match on any of these tonight, but <laughs> probably not. Uh, my first one I wanted to mention. Um, this is definitely a spoiler. I don't know if this is mostly because it was kind of recent uh, that I watched this movie, but I went with uh, Dante from Clerks Three. Um, it's like the whole like third act of this movie like focuses on how uh, Dante's gonna pass away and uh, kind of his set off send off and the remaking of the original Clerks film and uh, all that sort of stuff. And um, it was really hard to watch. It was really bittersweet. Um, and it's it's one of those ones that thinking back on it, I still think like, did he really have to die? But I think um, it was Kevin Smith's the way that he saw that that story had to close. And uh, this out of all the other ones on my list, I think this one still doesn't sit with me right, you know, and I don't know if it's just I need to watch the movie a couple more times, but that's kind of my thoughts. This one still like I don't know if it sits right for me. I get, I guess I understand why it happens, but I I don't know my full thoughts on this one yet. So so the reason this one didn't bug me, it was more of a oh that's cool that they oh all right never mind. I was literally thinking about the scripted Dante death as opposed to the, the character movie, the movie Dante death. Yeah, um, because Dante does die at the end of clerks three and i wasn't thinking <laughs> yeah. about when you were talking i'm like well yeah because he scripted it and then never actually filmed <laughs> it and be cut it out of the movie so to catch you up if you haven't seen clerks uh in the original version of clerks the original film dante dies but they cut it out of the film it wasn't actually a part of it they in terms of the release it never happened and then when they did clerks three and they were made and it was uh, clerks three is essentially the making of the original movie they wrote that death scene in, and that's the one I thought you were referring to just now. <laughs> and I was oh, like, okay. what are you talking about? How did you not like? <laughs> of course you put that in there. Okay, I am with you. Other death scene, actual death scene. Yes. So, yeah, no, I hear you. That was a really emotional um, beat that they added into the film. And um, I don't know if I agree with the choice either. Um, but they did it in a really nice, touching, sentimental way. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it was great with Randall's last thing. Like you weren't even supposed to be here today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause you're not like, you're still supposed to be with him. So yeah. Um, and then Randall's got the quick stop. So yeah. Yeah. Good call. Um, I feel like you went hardcore quick because my two honorable mentions are honorable mentions for reasons. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> So the, my first honorable mention is the character's name is Jessie. Um, that is all I know about the character because she is the girl that dies at the beginning of Cliffhanger. Um, oh, okay. And the reason I bring this up, this is an honorable mention only because there wasn't like an emotional attachment to this other than the fact that the scene was one of the most intense sequences I had ever seen at the time that movie came out. I absolutely fell in love with that movie because of that death scene. And then it basically set the tone for what you were about to get in terms of the roller coaster you were about to go on. And it was intense. It was gripping. It was exciting. You felt terrible. You had that emotional roller coaster all the way up to the fact that when she does die, you're just like, oh, my God, what am I getting into? And then the movie like goes. 
And then they take that nice down moment where it cuts to like two years later or something like that. And it's like picking up the pieces. Where has everyone been since it? And that kind of stuff. And then the adventure happens. Um, but the scene was very well acted and stuff. Um, and it was an incredible sequence to watch, but it is jarring. Um, so in terms of character deaths for an honorable mention, it just had an impact on me because of how well it was put together. So. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was it. Um, all right. Next honorable mention. <laughs> right on. I, I do feel like I almost feel like I have to be somber about some of these. <laughs> Oh no! The rest of my the rest of my list I have like it's a completely different conversation. So I totally hear you with the somberness. I just the honorable mentions I kind of left alone for the because look we're gonna be serious and somber about some of these, but we're gonna still make jokes about some of them too. So yeah, it's because what we do anyway. Um, so the next character I went with is uh Light Yaga Light Yagami from the series uh, Death Note. He's the uh, oh, main yeah. character who gets the death note. You know, he gets a notebook from uh, the death god Ryuk, the Shinigami. And uh, when you write people's names in that book, you can it has the power to kill people. And we don't have to go through all the logistics of how all that works. Um, but Death Note has like I feel like there's two major deaths in the series. There's the death at the end of the first season when L dies. L is the uh, detective that's kind of on uh, light's tail so to speak the whole time and then there's light who dies at the end of the series and um i don't know why for whatever reason i really like <laughs> it sounds bad to say i identified with light but i did like really buy into his story and i think that's one thing that the series does really well is it makes you root for this character who Yes, he is killing a lot of people, but he's also uh, taking out criminals, murderers, like he's taking out the scum of the earth. And they really do make you root for him. And then at the same time, you're rooting for L. you know, you're you're rooting for this cat and mouse game. Like, who's going to survive? Is it going to be the killer or the detective? And it's really infectious. But I just remember the way the series ends, because the series ends in a really intense way where you have... Light is basically, and it's been a while since I've watched it, but from what I remember, it's like Light is basically gets to the point where he's caught, he's kind of cornered by law enforcement, he's basically having to uh, surrender to give up, and uh, it's one of those things where when he's about to be taken in, like to go to jail, to go to trial, he has a little piece of the death note, like a little piece of one of the papers in his pocket, and he pulls pulls it out and starts writing down officers' names and writing down the people's names that he needs to escape that situation. And it's a really, really intense thing. Like part of the genius of the series is like, how exciting can you make a scene that involves people writing things on paper? <laughs> you know? Sure. And I think Death Note does it in such an exciting, dynamic way, even though it's just characters writing names on paper. And he gets out of that situation, but then it follows up with uh, Ryuk, the death god who gave yeah. him the notebook in the first place, kills him. And it's something that Ryuk said he was going to do from the beginning that he was going to kill light. And I remember like, even though you knew it was going to happen, I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks because it's such a uh, sad ending. And I remember watching it and I'm like, well, it had to end that way because you can't play God. And that's what the series is basically saying. You can't play God 
But yeah. I wish it was saying you could play God. <laughs> you know, it didn't give right. you that happy ending. But that's why it sticks with you. So that's why I picked this one for uh, my next honorable mention. Oh, this is a fantastic call just because of the you didn't see it coming. Well, you saw it coming, but you didn't see it coming. They yeah. told you, but then you're not prepared. Even though you're prepared for it, you're not prepared for it. You know what I mean? It's just really cool, like. It's almost like this cool, like full circle, like I told you this was going to happen. But even though you're yeah. still rooting for the fact that, well, there's going to be a way out of this. <laughs> yeah. Know? But the social commentary of you can't play God and these are the consequences. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Um, my final honorable mention. This is a partial joke, but it, but I'm being dead serious when I say this. For a lot of us in my generation... <laughs> This is like one of our first experiences with death that has be kind of become a butt of jokes. Now, I didn't have an emotional attachment to this because I think I was too young to really understand. But as an adult, when you look back at it, how jarring this was. And I'm, spe- I'm talking about Bambi's mom. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> like this is probably for a lot of us. This was our very first touch of death and understanding and the acceptance of it and all that stuff. And you're just like, wait, what? Like, you know, and they have those jokes in Friends where he's like, oh, is it sad when the artist stopped drawing the deer? You know, like, you know, they make comments like that. You hear and you hear jokes about it all the time in pop culture. But in all seriousness, this is one. This was a jarring moment in the film. And it was a down moment like something just happened, you know, Um, and it's a shock. So, yeah, Bambi's mom. Um, Yeah, that's all I got for that one. But. I don't know if you have anything, but I think in the world of uh, children's cinema, like before Bambi, there was Old Yeller before Old Yeller. There is probably something else. But Bambi, for so many of us, that was the first movie we watched that had a death like that. And I think for so many people, that's why this death sticks with them for life, because it's that first like. You know, it's that first feeling of trauma from watching that that movie and that scene. So I definitely know why you picked this one. I think it's a great choice and it's very uh, archetypal because of how, uh, yeah, how much it sticks with, how much it means to so many people, you know? So yeah, good call. Yeah. All right. First actual pick of the night. Yeah. So um, I'm going to get, this one's kind of a cheat, but it's kind of not. Um, I went with the death of Superman. Um, and I'm saying this, you figured I was going to do this. So the reason to bring it up. So the reason this is going to be this is a cheat is because I would want to say the death of Superman in the comics, like in the early 90s when they killed Superman off and, uh, you know, drawn drawn. And I, I believe drawn and written by Dan Jurgens, who's like one of my favorite uh, characters. But I knew like before I ever read that comic, I knew that Superman died because when that comic came out, I wasn't like reading a ton of comics in my life because I was in like grade school. But I had heard about like, oh, Superman gets killed by Doomsday, yada, yada. So I read it later. So it's hard for me to say in the comics that I was that distraught when I read it because I already knew like, oh, he's going to die. Then he's going to come back. But then you go and you watch uh, you watch the the super Superman movies. You watch Batman v Superman. And at the end, I remember that big fight scene with uh, with Doomsday. I actually, I actually was watching this uh, earlier today. Um some of uh we had some uh the in-laws over for dinner and i was actually talking to uh my brother-in-law about how like 
the way Superman and Doomsday uh, kill each other at the end of Batman v Superman is very close to the comic, but it's instead of them stabbing each other at the same time, it's basically they punch each other really hard at the same time, which is pretty awesome. But I do remember Batman v Superman, and I think it's because I'm a big enough Superman fan where this happened, but I remember watching that uh, the end of that movie, the fight with Doomsday and the funeral scene, and I was, like, getting choked up. Like, that was really hitting me. But also, like, I wanted to mention Superman, because I think Superman comics at a whole, as a whole don't get enough credit for, at least for me, and I might be the odd man out, but I always, like... I can I find some of the Superman moments like really touching, um, especially stuff involving Smallville and uh, Superman's relationship with his parents. And depending on which series, which timeline, you know, John and Martha might be alive and well, um, you know, or they might be killed off. And it really kind of depends on which era you're reading. But I think a lot of those moments with uh, Superman relating to his parents and stuff i always get choked up on that sort of stuff and i think it's just because like i can relate to like you know growing up in a small town and stuff i remember um i think it's grant morrison's uh new 52 action comics run i remember at the end of i think i want to say it's like the first trade paperback from that series there's a moment where Clark is kind of packing his bags and uh, he's about to like move into Metropolis from Smallville. And uh, I just remember him like thinking about how much he was going to miss his hometown. And even that moment, like I got like choked up from. So I think like Superman for me is just always like, I think it doesn't get the credit for how like emotional it can be. So that's like another reason I wanted to bring this one up. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, yeah. I'm a Superman fan. I don't know what to say. (laughs) I figured this one was going to come up. Superman, the death of Superman, the big thing for me was, you know, when I, the first time I read it, like back in the 90s, I was what, 12 when it happened? Maybe 11 when that happened? And it was just this cool book, right? When I went back and read it as an adult, like I reread it as an adult, I was shocked at how powerful of a story it was. Right. Oh, emotionally jarring the death scene was and the stuff that I missed. And that's just that's just you growing up as an adult and seeing the world differently. You know, my you know, because I use my eyes and ears, I become a jaded, cynical adult because, you know, we look at the world around us. But having an understanding of the world around us made that story way different. And I absolutely love it. It's one of the coolest stories in DC Comics in comics in general, just because um, just because of what it ended up being. And it just it blew my mind how uh, cool it was. Um, right on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to flip the script on you from Superman's death to one that uh, makes me angry still to this day. And that is Black Widow. Uh, right. <laughs> MCU. Um, I like I said, this is the ones that really got you. And this is the thing. Like, did it have to be Black Widow? Maybe. Did it have to be Hawkeye? Maybe. We knew we were losing Avengers. You know, um, Tony Stark. Um, it was interesting because I walked into Endgame thinking to myself, Captain America and Iron Man both die. That was my thought process. And the only reason I was thinking that was because. Iron Robert Downey Jr.'s paycheck was getting too big. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 
they're going to like what they're and I was like, they're going to do the behind the scenes thing where they're going to kill him on screen because he's getting too big. He's getting too expensive to pay for. So you get rid of the bigger actors so you can make way for the younger actors that don't cost as much and you can keep, keep making amazing movies. That's what went through my head. So when Tony Stark died, it didn't affect me the same way because I almost looked at it and like, even though it was a touching moment, even though the sequence was cool, it was almost a business decision in my mind. Um, and that's just, that was me analyzing the movie as I was watching. Uh, it was like, yep, of course, there we go. We knew that I was, I, it was like, I knew it was coming. When Black Widow died, man, I didn't see that coming. And that freaked me out. And that was a tough one to deal with. And I was angry. And to this day, I'm still angry. Like, I just, like, no no stages of grief, just anger. Like, why do you have to kill Black Widow? Um, <laughs> but that's okay. We got the Black Widow movie. It's all good. But literally, I was like, that's that was my response. I'm like, no! Like, I was angry about it. And then there wasn't, it would, I did, and the, the way the movie transpires, you don't have time to grieve Black Widow's death. And as the movie goes, when you get to, like, what happens with Captain America, what happens to Tony Stark, what happens to the other Avengers... You never get time to reconcile the fact that Black Widow's gone. And I feel like it's kind of under the, you know, it got she got shoveled under the carpet a little bit there. So, um, yeah, that's all I got on Black Widow. But that's my thing there. That just got me because I was like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could I could see that like she uh, that her whole death kind of being put on the back burner and stuff like that um, with how Endgame ended and all that. But um I mean, the one positive I could say about it is it like it was a really epic scene and like it is a really interesting like way for her to go out. But I understand where you're coming from. Like, why did that have to happen? You know, and like, did it really did she have to be the character put in that situation where it happened and stuff like that? So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, What's your next one? Yeah. So uh, my next one um, I went with uh, Albus Dumbledore's death from uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Um, I would be specifically going for um, the way this played out in the book, though, as opposed to the movie. And uh, the way the, it plays out in the movie isn't necessarily super different from the book, but um, it's much it's much more climactic in the book. There's a lot more uh, mystery behind it. Um this is definitely spoilers, but um, uh, Professor Snape kills Albus Dumbledore at the end of uh, Harry Potter 6. Um, it's kind of like in the midst of like a big fight with like uh, some of the Death Eaters and stuff. And uh, the way Snape kills him in the book, it's very it feels very clear that Snape is not a good person and uh the way that uh, book seven plays out, the Deathly Hallows, there's a lot of that gets turned on its head. And I don't, <laughs> I'm already spoiling way too much and I don't want to get too into too many details, but the way it's played out in the movie, it seems too much like, <sighs> Drew, do you care how much of this no. stuff is spoiled no. for you? <laughs> okay. No. Harry Potter. Because this is me, yeah. like, I don't want to spoil things for you. No, but it's all good. Spoil away, man. Basically, the way that when Snape kills Dumbledore in the books, it seems like he is, like, a traitor. He's evil. He's part of the Death Eaters and stuff. And then in the seventh book, it's actually revealed that that's something that he had to do so that the good wizards could eventually win. And he was actually, like, 
a very good person and he was brave and he was like selected for that role because he was the only person who would actually commit to that and stuff. But if you watch the movies, like in the sixth movie, they don't even it's like they're hinting too much that he's still a good person when it happens, if that makes sense. And they take away so much mystery out of that scene. Um, I really am not that much of a fan of the sixth Harry Potter movie. I think there's a lot of dark stuff when it comes to like the things you were supposed to be revealed about, like Voldemort's um creepy past and stuff like that and i feel like the sixth harry potter movie focuses a little bit too much on like snogging and teen romance and they should be focusing on some of the cool death eater stuff so specifically the book um because dumbledore dying was just like such a gut punch he was such a um you know, you go into the world of Harry Potter and you read those books and he's such a guiding light for Harry Potter, but also for you when you're reading along in the books. And he's kind of like a bit of like Harry Potter's safety net that's just like gets pulled away. And uh, it's a very suspenseful, dark thing. Um, I can end this on like kind of a funny note, though, because I remember uh, back when this book was first released. Do you did you do you remember the website Ebombs World, Drew? Yes. So Ebombs World was kind of YouTube before YouTube existed. <laughs> like in yeah, the early two thousands, when you wanted to watch stupid videos with your friends and laugh don't, about things, don't you would get me wrong. YouTube existed, but not in the capacity that it does today. Uh yes and no. I I do think that Ebombs did predate YouTube, but I do know what you mean. Like when you get into like the later two thousands, YouTube was definitely there. But uh, I remember there's this old uh ebombs world video where it was a bunch of people waiting in line for the midnight release of harry potter and the half-blood prince and there's a bunch of people in line and there's like these assholes who got there super early went they were first in line got a copy of the book left of the store <laughs> flipped to the back of the book read like the last couple pages or last last chapter and then they realize that Dumbledore dies. So then they get in their car, drive around the block, and then drive past all the people waiting in the line and just yell out their window, Dumbledore dies. Oh. <laughs> and just spoils the whole book for everybody waiting in line. And these people are so livid. They started chasing in the person's car, just screaming at them. It was so funny. Uh, such a good video. But uh, yeah, that's that's my next pick. And uh, I just thought I just wanted to end that one on a funny story since this is kind of a kind of a darker list, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a darker list, but that's the thing. Like, we're going to make some jokes out of it. Now, Dumbledore, I know, was very emotional for everybody. I'm not a Harry Potter guy, so I don't have this. Um, uh, I'm not in the bandwagon for this one, but I do know that that affected a lot of people. I almost feel like I feel like this one and Sirius Snape are the two that really just got everybody you know what i mean like when the super fans that um because i was working in a bookstore at the time when the books came out and yeah i i heard all about it <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um all right so mine um i'm going to the television show lost for this one and i'm specifically focusing on charlie um oh this yeah, yeah this one's good this is this one is I don't know if we knew Charlie was going to die. I don't know if we had, I don't know if we were prepared for it, but 
it's that like dead man switch. Someone's got to go down there. You're in the water. He's going to get sealed in. He's going to drown. Like you can almost see it coming, but then he gets that revealing notice that knowing that the boat <laughs> that's going to come get him is not the boat that they were expecting. Yes. So he's got to write on his hand, not Penny's boat. And he has to stick his hand up to the glass. So uh, Desmond can read it. And then he's got to go warn everybody. Oh my God. It was just absolutely chilling and emotional and gripping. Like it was intense um, but yeah, such a, such a cool Dominic Monaghan was incredible on that show. Fantastic. I will always advocate for how good lost is. Um, if you've never seen lost, I believe it's on Hulu. I believe they're putting it on Disney plus, um, from what I read. So if anyone's looking to do a rewatch or watch it for the first time, I highly recommend it. This is a show that you will get, um, involved in every character's lives and you will get emotionally attached to all of them and you will want all good things to happen. So unfortunately I'm spoiling that Charlie dies, but man, his death really got me. Cause that, that shook me up for a while, especially like waiting. I, that might've been a season finale and you're just like, no, we got to wait a year. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that one, that one, I, there was no, I'm like, I was kind of looking at like my collection and cause I was, when you Google, um, when you Google this topic, there's a lot of stuff that I think a lot of people haven't even considered in terms of, you know, fictional character deaths. Like one of the greatest yeah. fictional character deaths of all time was like Sherlock Holmes, and I'm like, that's not making my list, you know. <laughs> like, um, so I just was like, what franchises am I into? And I started digging through. So yeah, Lost Man, like this one, that one really got me. So. Anyway. Yeah, this is a good call. I, I didn't put this on my list. I feel like it, I should have, though, because I do remember this death um, really getting to me. And uh, Charlie was one of my favorite characters in that in that show. So, like, this is a good call. And it's a very um, the way that he does die, like how he, like, basically drowns and he has to hold his hand with, like, not Penny's boat written up like on it, like up to the window. And it's a very dramatic and very, like visually distinct death i feel like it's kind of more iconic than a lot of other um tv deaths but um uh one thing i was gonna say have you ever watched the youtube videos that are like the uh how it should have ended like those animated yeah. things yeah but what bugs me about that is that here's the people going this is how it should have ended and you're just like well you're not in the writer's room that's not what we got like it's so, like they're reviewing a movie that didn't happen um, so what I the way I watch how it should have ended is just like they're silly, like almost like robot chicken esque, like just like silly, goofy cartoons. Like I don't take them seriously. And a lot of them aren't like that accurate. Like, no, the movie shouldn't have ended that way. But uh, there was one I think it was when they did um, the last uh, the last Jedi when they did the the last Jedi, how it should have ended. And it has the part where. uh uh, Leia is out in space and she's she uh, she like her, you know her skin like freezes over and then she uses the force to come back into the ship like that whole controversial scene so that played out in the how it should have ended <laughs> episode for that but when she comes back to the ship she doesn't come inside she just holds her hand up uh, up to the window and her hand says not Penny's boat <laughs> right and it was so funny. And I remember seeing that like back when it came, when the last Jedi came out and I was like, I totally forgot about that lost moment. That's so great. So, uh, good stuff. Yeah. Um, 
All right, man. What is uh, your next one? Yeah, so uh, speaking of Star Wars, actually, um, I didn't even mean to make that segue, to be honest, but uh, well, I actually went because with... Because we've been doing the show for so long, we're better at segues. <laughs> the, the sign of a good segue is pointing out that it's a good segue. Yep. <laughs> That's what yep. I always yep. say. <laughs> um, no, I actually went with a uh, Star Wars-related thing. I actually went with uh, Linus from the movie Fanboys. Um wow. I, I love the movie Fanboys. Um, Drew, you talking about like suits earlier this episode and not being able to relate to it. I love the movie Fanboys because I relate to it so much, you know, like loving Star Wars and comics and pop culture. Like anybody who's like in kind of like our pop cu- culture nerd world should love that movie. Um, but and like the whole movie, like it's about how. Linus has cancer and uh, they're going to make their like sort of lifelong dream road trip to uh, Skywalker Ranch and they're going to sneak in and they're going to steal a copy of episode one before it comes out. And uh, it's this big, awesome road trip movie. But the movie's so funny and it has like such a infectious, nerdy energy to it that I think when you watch it, you kind of forget that Linus has cancer. You know, there's even the uh, scene where he has to go to the hospital and stuff, but it's not at the front of your mind. You're just having so much fun with these characters you just met and you just fell in love with. But then at the end of the movie, the way they don't really depict his death, they kind of just hint at it. And the way it's filmed and how it references the end of et and uh i don't know just the whole thing is really touching especially if you're anybody who's ever loved anything any sort of pop culture fandom like if you've ever been part of a fandom it's a really touching way the movie ends and it really points out what um you know this goofy stuff comics superheroes funny books sci-fi star wars like these goofy things that we all love like how much this stuff can really mean and uh, i think i think just the whole ending of that movie is like really beautifully played out in that regard so uh yeah that's that's my next one i went with so um yeah so linus you're right this one there's a few references throughout that indicate that he's got cancer and you just don't you know you don't really think about it until the it's every now and then they'll like make a point and you'll go, Oh, right. Yeah. And they'll make another point. You're like, Oh, right. And then it's incredibly emotional how they shot. So like, you know, they're at Skywalker ranch, like who's going to get to see the movie, that kind of thing. And then what happens is, is there, you know, you got, um, Danny McBride's like, yeah, you guys, he, George is going to let you see the movie. And they're like, really? And all excited. He's like, but just you and points at Linus. You know, yeah. it's just like it's the kid. He's he's going to let him do it. And that's just that's awesome. Um, the scene when he gets to watch the movie and, you know, it's the it's 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 emotionally jarring for a handful of reasons. One, he's going to die. Two, he's getting to see the movie. Three, it's the last Star Wars he's ever going to get to see. You know, it's just it's just really touching incredibly emotional moment it's awesome and then when they just allude to it like you know he's sitting by the fire by himself and you know Butler's like you're gonna come join us he's like i'll be over there in a minute and they kind of just fade that scene out yeah because you know he's it's it's his it was his moment of saying goodbye um it, it's just really touching and like it's a great fun movie leading up to it but yeah so yeah good call on linus's death for uh this list 
Um, all right. I'm jumping over to a book that you've never read, so you're going to have to bear with me. Um, <laughs> the, the book is called Scarecrow. Um, it's by my favorite author, Matthew Riley. Um, Matthew Riley, if you're listening, I know you are. Um, I'd love to have you on the show and chat with you. I'd love to just pick your brain about your books because I, I love them to death. Anyway, Scarecrow, um, this is part of a series. This is the third in a series with uh, it's a military action thriller and it's nonstop balls to the wall action. Like once it starts, it doesn't stop until you get to that, fi- that final page. Um, but throughout the series, our main character, um, he is a uh, he's a Marine um, who's in charge of like a special forces unit. And he has his girlfriend is also a Marine. Um, she was originally part of his unit and then they separated so that she was commanding her first unit. In the midst of everything going on, the terrorist organization that's after him, that's kind of hunting. It's like a big bounty hunt mission. Like they're hunting him down. Um, they find out that she is they're romantically involved. They capture her and some of his other people. And she doesn't get tortured, per se. But what happens is, is from torturing others and then killing others and stuff, you're it's literally like a ticking clock. They're going to get to her, right? The way it's setting up is, like, they even get her, like, in a guillotine, like an old-school guillotine, and literally they're going to cut her head off. And the whole time you're reading this, like, you've, you've grown with the character throughout the books. One, you've grown with the character. Two, you have... Um, You've grown with the character, you've fallen in love with the character, you're invested in the relationships, and now she's on a guillotine, literally, like, struggling for her life, and you're like, he's gonna save her, he's gonna save her, he's gonna save her, and he doesn't. Mm. And they literally, in the middle of the third book, they kill the love interest. And it is a gut punch beyond gut punch, and I remember, like, literally, like, I wasn't in tears, but it was literally like, I can't believe they just did that. Like you just you felt your heart drop into your stomach and you're just like, I can't believe they just did that. And then um, and then it's like there's a quick pause and then you're back into the action because eventually he's got to find out that she's dead. He's not even there. (laughs) That's the catch. So when he finds out, that's almost the more emotionally jarring moment is when he finds out that she's dead. It was nuts. The way as an author, the way he handled it in terms of laying it out on paper and storytelling and stuff absolutely incredible so um i highly recommend those books they're absolutely amazing but that was one that really got me and i know you can't talk about it really because you don't know what i'm talking about but i'm like when i this was this was one that i came up with last i'm like no libby gant is gonna be you know on the list but i'm gonna have to talk my way through it so right well, what what sounds interesting to me about it is how, like you were talking about, how there's like that double gut punch of like the incident happens where she dies and then you have to wait for the main character to find out about it. And it's like this two two parts where the this death like really hits you on an emotional level. Um, so that's that's really interesting. And it, it makes me wonder if there's any like sort of dramatic irony that plays out in the book because of that, like the the main character not knowing about it yet but uh no it it sounds sounds really interesting you know yeah it's it's fantastic i love those books um i highly recommend it it's they all of his books are fantastic but they all um yeah so yeah check it out um all right what's your next one right so um 
<laughs> my next pick this one is going to be kind of a weird i think i feel like this is kind of a weird pick because of who it is and because of the series it's from i feel like people would be like why did you pick this character but the thing is this list in general was kind of hard for me to do because i have this habit habit of like when i'm watching a more like serious like drama or like action horror sort of series I kind of like try not to get super attached to a lot of the characters because you always know like, you know, any of these characters could die um, at any moment, you know, especially being in like a post like Game of Thrones world, you know, and in, in like the landscape we're in, like you, you can't trust that they're not going to uh, kill off certain characters. But I think the series that taught me to kind of... Um, be reluctant from getting too attached to any of these characters was The Walking Dead. Um, regardless of what you think of the series um, at this point, the first five, six, seven seasons, in my opinion, were really good. Like, I think there's a really there's a real magic to the storytelling um, early in The Walking Dead series. Um, I've read some of the comics. I've definitely watched a lot more of the uh, TV series. So this is a death from the t TV series I'm going to be talking about. But that is uh, Dale, Dale Horvath from uh, The Walking Dead. And he's this is one where everybody's going to be like, well, you know, why didn't you pick Glenn for like the death that hit you the hardest, or why did you pick that? Glenn died too many, one too many times, and it's not. Yes, because because it happened so many series later. The same thing with Beth. The same thing with like a lot of other characters. Well, I'll I'll be honest, Beth really that got me in. Like that upset me because I really... that that was <laughs> that was such an upsetting death. But <laughs> Beth the reason. The reason I'm singling out Dale is because it happens, I'm pretty sure it's in the second season. And at that point, I was still getting attached to characters and stuff. And he was like, there's a, there's like a couple deaths, like one or two deaths in the first season. The first season, I was still kind of getting into the show. I wasn't super attached. Then the, sec the second season comes, and that's where they're really like hitting you with heartbreaks. And I remember being so heartbroken when Dale passed away. And it was such like, sort it was such like a sort of like the circumstances of it were kind of random. Like if I remember correctly, he kind of randomly encountered a walker who like tears open his abdomen and they basically just had to uh, kill him. You know, they had to put him down because otherwise he was going to turn into a walker too. And I just remember being so heartbroken at this like character who I've come to really love and then he passed away. And that's when the callus was built up. That was when <laughs> the rest of the series, I was like, they could kill anybody. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to get upset. And I desensitized myself to it in that show. But it's something that moving forward, I notice I do. Like, even in Game of Thrones, like Game of Thrones has some of the best, like, most gut-punching, hard-hitting death scenes, I think, of any series. But I watched that after The Walking Dead, and I, I kept myself from getting too distraught because I, like, learned to build up that callus. And I think it's The Walking Dead, how many horrible character deaths they have in that series. I think that's what taught me to do that. And to me, I feel like I can trace a lot of that back to Daryl. So that's why I picked him for uh, for my list. Right. Um, no, this is a good call. There's so many great deaths in Walking Dead um, from what I did see because <laughs> I made yeah. it the six seasons and yeah, it was an issue of killing all the characters and Dale's a good, a really good pick for this. Uh, the Glenn thing. And yeah, you in the realm of that, like 
Glenn died and then they retconned it and brought him back. And I was like angry about it when they actually killed him because I'm like, you can't like the all the emotion for me was gone when they actually killed him. You know, like, that, oh, yeah, like I was all upset about the first time. And then when they brought him back, because I'm like, there's no way he survived. And then when they brought him back and explained it, I was just like, there's no way. And then when they actually killed him and I was like, yeah, the emotion's gone. Like, you guys, you ruined it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, Dale's a good call on that one. Um, all right. I'm jumping over to Game of Thrones in the realm of shows that kill everybody. Um, <laughs> right. Game of Thrones sports a lot of character deaths. Um, the one I almost wrote down when I was thinking about Game of Thrones was Ned Stark because it shook everybody but me because I read the books. Um, but the one that um, the one that I'm referring to that really got me, and this is one that was just how it was handled, how it was explained, so emotional, this heroic act, because there weren't many heroic acts in Game of Thrones. But I'm talking about Hodor. Um, the, epi- the episode Hold the Door and how he's saving Bran Stark and them, like when they're leaving... Uh, uh, the Three-Eyed Raven, and they're trying to get away from the uh, the White Walkers, and he's just trying to hold the door, but it's the flashback, it's the juxtaposition of why he is the way he is because of the mental connection from the past to the future. You know what I mean? Like, how that all yeah. played out, why he is the way he is, why he has the mental break. He His sole purpose is to hold that door closed, and it's like that it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's like that destined moment and it's heroic and it's touching. And like, there's like, you can't watch that episode and not be in tears. Um, yeah, that one really got me, uh, production quality, the story writing, everything that one, that one gets you every time. So yeah, Hodor. So, uh, this is a, this is a great one. Uh, really, really great, uh, touching moment. Um, this one, um, unfortunately, was kind of spoiled for me before I had a chance to watch mm-hmm. the episode. But I definitely know where you're coming from because it is a really beautiful episode. Like, it's just really good, like, cool storytelling the way it all plays out. And it is, like, a really tragic one that really hits you in the feels. So uh, good call for this one. Yeah. All right. What is your final pick of the night? Yeah, my final pick. Um, this, this, is was the one, the... this is the one where we match. <laughs> I think it might be. This is the first thing that I thought of when you pitched this list. Um, and that is actually uh, our taxes death. Oh, my in, God. Uh, we matched on story. this. <laughs> <laughs> we totally of, matched on this. <laughs> of, cor- of course we did. So, like, yeah, our tax is a Treyu's horse in uh, the never ending story. And this is when I think of just iconic um, deaths, at least p- for people like within our age range ranges, uh, I think like so many people go back to the scene like this was i feel like this is like bambi's mom level of like just so many kids in the 80s were traumatized by the scene and it's so sad and it's not violent it's not gory it's actually very fantastical but it's such oh it's so sad and depressing and i love this one because it's like artax sinks into the swamp of sadness and it's not it's not for like lack of uh, endurance or ability. And it's not like a tragic calamity. It's like a struggle of uh, spirit 
that makes our text sink in, you know, and struggle of spirit. It's a struggle of will. And he sank into the sadness and like the sadness took him and he died. Like that's what killed him. Sadness. Yeah. Um, the way that scene plays out when Atreyu is like begging Artax to move, like keep going, keep going, you're fine, keep going, and he's like screaming at him, is like, no, you gotta come, and he's just sinking farther and farther down into the muck, um, into the swamp. It's like you see it happening, like you're watching this happen, and yeah, we were kids, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like our parents let us watch this, um. Our acceptance of death and our own fate and everything were realized at very young ages because of Bambi's mom and Artex. Yeah. Uh, I always joke that if uh, if you didn't cry at Artex's death, then you're dead inside. And um, that's kind of been like an ongoing joke for me, like over the years, like, you know, when it comes up in conversation, like, well, if you didn't cry at that, you're dead inside because you <laughs> are like. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's fantastic that we matched on this. Um, it was not the first one that I wrote down. Um, I think I jokingly wrote Bambi's mom down before I yeah. wrote anything else. Um, <laughs> but no, that's 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 awesome that we both pulled up this pulled on this string. So yeah, and this this is one just thinking back back to it. I I just feel sad. Like this one is so so hard hitting. Um, but yeah, really awesome. That's crazy that we matched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone go watch NeverEnding Story. The movie's fantastic, but you're going to cry at that scene. We all will. Um, what, Peter, it's your pick for next week. Yeah, what? so um, I thought of this idea, and I thought it would be really cool, and I went and reviewed all the episodes we did, and I'm pretty sure we didn't do this one. And if we did, correct me, and I do have a backup. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to do our top five pop culture gadgets like we've done Ooh. weapons we've done weapons and we've done uh we've done weapons and we've done like vehicles but gadgets that's yeah. kind of cool man there's some there's some cool pulls for that yes uh, and you can you can go all the, over the place you can go espionage you can go superhero like there's so many different areas but we i don't think we've ever done done this which is really cool yeah good call man this is that's that's kind of a cool one. So let's see what we pull up for this. Um, I'm going to leave us with one more thing before we end tonight's episode. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And I've been thinking about this. Uh, for some reason, this has been popping up. And um, just because it's Groundhog Day, you're starting to see the commercials. AMC is going to run it all day tomorrow um, on AMC. But um, in the realm of what we're talking about tonight and death and all that stuff, one thing that's always come up is in the movie Groundhog Day, they never really explain how the time travel works. But I think it was there the whole time. And I'm going to throw out this, like, really heavy-handed theory to leave you all with it because we're all going to watch Groundhog Day over the weekend. In the movie, Bill Murray's character runs into Ned Ryerson, his old friend from high school that he doesn't really remember. And Ned is really, he's this pushy insurance salesman, right? I yes. think, I think... Ned Ryerson is the devil. Like, he's actually the devil. And when Bill Murray dismisses <laughs> Ned Ryerson at the beginning of the movie, he steps off the curb and he steps into the puddle of water. That puddle is the time portal. That's where it starts. Mm. Okay? The, it starts, he goes through all this stuff. He deals with um, 
all like breaking rules and um, trying things and living like all the like doing all the funny stuff. And then it starts to get serious. And then he starts freaking out and tries to kill himself and all this stuff. And then he starts trying to woo the girl, but he can't get it right. Okay. On the last day before he goes back to real time, he buys life insurance from Ned Ryerson. He doesn't step in the puddle. He spends the night with Andy McDowell and everything's righted. He's out of the portal, but now the devil owns his soul. And with that, we'll end the episode. <laughs> but I. Yeah, so that's my theory about what what's actually going on in Groundhog Day. Anyway. And wait till I tell you about how Phoebe from Friends was actually a crazy homeless lady the whole time. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a really interesting theory. But isn't that crazy that that's what it was? And he won't like. And now that he buys the life insurance, Ned Ryerson owns him. You know what I mean? And like, you can go on with your life now, but you've you've made a deal. <laughs> you know. Um, There's just, actually a pretty similar theory about um, John Candy in Home Alone, like. Uh, you know, Kevin McAllister's mother um, is in the airport and she's just trying to get back to Chicago. And she says, I'd sell my soul to the devil himself to be able to get back to Chicago. Oh, sure. And that's when John Candy comes in. And so there's some similar theories. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> were they both were they both John Hughes movies or is that just Home Alone? Like, was he trying to tell I, us something? I, I don't know. <laughs> I would have to look up. I'd have to look around. Okay. I just was like, Ed Ryerson is the devil. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, on that note, I know it was a downer of an episode because of how heavy a hand it got, but we were talking about some cool stuff. We've never done that list before. Anyway. For sure. Um, I, If you're okay, Peter, let's end this episode and toss it in the can. Yeah, let's go for uh, it. Uh, everyone, do us a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media um along with the link to our email top five report at gmail.com you can interact with the show there hit us up on our social media either way it works um we are on apple podcasts iHeartRadio, google play stitcher app amazon audible you can subscribe to us in those places if you do you will not miss a single episode you can also leave us reviews we love those five stars but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important um you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be talking about how we all know Wilson from Home Improvement was always just trying a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying he's like one of those guys who always has to seem intellectual and esoteric i mean just just take it easy man <laughs> all right well everybody <laughs> this is the top five report i'm drew i'm peter and we'll see you next week thanks for listening <laughs>